Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes, and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. And happy new year from the Red Box Politics Podcast and the Times. I'm Matt Jolly. A new year has broken, has it not? And what a year 2019 is set to be. On March 29th, Britain will officially leave the European Union. We think we'll discuss that, I'm sure. Plus, what does the year hold for Theresa May, Jeremy Corbyn, and the other inhabitants of the Westminster Village? Joining me are three of the village's biggest gossips to look ahead to what 2019 might have in store. Tim Shipman is political editor of the Sunday Times. Esther Weber is our Red Box reporter and Katie Perrier is Theresa May's former Director of Communications and Number 10 and now Chairwoman of In-House PR. Welcome to you all. Before we look ahead, let's look back just briefly where we ended up at the end of 2018. In fact, Tim, I went back and listened to last year's New Year podcast, which you were on. Uh, Among your predictions of possible coups and plots, you also said 2018 could, on one level, be grindingly dull, but you predicted some spasms of high drama, which seems reasonably... More than some, I fear. Accurate. And there was lots of talk about Theresa May being ousted, but you said she may grind miserably on for another year or even two. Well, grinding miserably on... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seems to be... (laughs) Grinding miserably on seems to be the number 10's only successful policy these days. Um, So let's... Well, they've got to the end of the day 365 times. I mean, that's no mean feat. But that's it, isn't it? It's just getting to the end of the day. It often feels like that. So, Katie, how do you think 2018 panned out for Theresa May? She's kind of lost all dignity in terms of, you know, the ability to, you know, she's got she's got a sympathy vote and people feel desperately sorry for her. So if I'm at school gates, which is rare because I'm always stuck in here to podcasts with you, Matt, it seems. But if I'm at school gates, people say, oh, my God, I really feel sorry for her. So actually, she has got the public on side more than her own parliamentary colleagues. And I think that that's constantly the problem as those numbers grow of people that are not just against her Brexit deal, but against her in terms of her premiership. You know, she struggles on, but uh, it's not a good look, is it really? (laughs) Esther? Yeah, weirdly, I think even though it's kind of been quite disastrous in terms of 
not being able to push forward with her deal and also having 117 members of her own party <laughs> decide they want to bin her off. Um, there's also been a sort of erosion of the whole Maybot with the dancing and the kind of the perception that she is kind of digging in there for the good of the country. So it's a sort of a, a game of two halves. And she has sort of... Towards the end of the year, when things were getting worse and worse, she did seem to loosen up a bit. Maybe, maybe she just thought, "I just can't give yeah, I mean, I was two on, hoops anymore." I just, you know, go for her with party it. conference speech. I was on the BBC commenting live on the speech, and as they took my mic down and brought the sound up from the hall. I'm recorded and saying, oh, God, please make it stop. <laughs> Which they now apparently play on loop in the BBC every time they want to laugh. Uh, luckily, it didn't really go out to the nation, I don't think. Just just in terms of... But I was very supportive of the speech itself, and she did look to be much more in control. When she stands up to Juncker and others and says things like, you know, you called me nebulous, and, and has a go at the, him... Her poll ratings increase. Now, they have private polling at number 10, which shows that the public's on her side. She just has to convince her colleagues that to, to do what the public wants. And they actually just want to get on with Brexit. Right. Well, let's look ahead then to 2019 and what the new year holds. Tim, what do you think Theresa May needs to do in the first few weeks of, of 2019? She's got to do the selling job like, this, like she's never done before. And just going back to what Katie was saying, I mean, I think this is the power of artificial intelligence. The Maybot has a new programmer and it is <laughs> learning new tricks. Uh, this is the great danger with the machines that they might learn empathy. If you watch the Terminator movies, this is the thing. You know, if you can begin to fake human emotion, you can begin to actually achieve something. And Theresa May has rather begun to do that. That. Uh, the people who work for her insist that that dance was spontaneous. They talked about the music, but she went and did the dance all on her own. Uh, and the same thing happened again the other day with Juncker. She decided to go and tear him a new one, fully aware that that was on camera. And guess what? She had a really good day in the media. It was splashed all over the newspapers. And this is a Prime Minister learning that you actually have control of the levers when you're in charge and that you can do things. And if she starts to do a bit more of that, I think it's possible that you could see the number of Tory rebels beginning to come down. And if you look at the debate that we've just had uh, in December over the meaningful vote and, and over uh, Labour's attempts to no confidence the government, the ERG fell into line, the group of hardline Brexiteers. They suddenly decided, hang on, we lost this vote ourselves, we're going to get behind the Prime Minister. If a few more of them decide to do that on the deal, this could be quite an interesting first month of the year. One thing that struck me listening back to last year's New Year podcast was you, you talked about how deal-making requires you know some human some ability to deal, go into a room with Angela Merkel and Emmanuel Macron and do a deal like people. Uh, well, she's quite good at working through a list, but she's not very good at the sort of the human side. Yeah, I think everyone who's been in a room with her, whether they're interviewing her or whether they're watching her um, uh, with other leaders, knows that, you know, this is not A1 in her skill set. There is some <laughs> evidence that she's getting a little bit better at it. But boy, is she going to have to be better still as she goes into, you know, the final stages of this uh, of this Brexit deal. What do you think, Esther? What does she need to do in, in January? Yeah, it strikes me that there's not much time, which <laughs> isn't, isn't very helpful because um, it's, it's only a week between when the Commons gets back and the week in which they've said they expect the, the new meaningful vote to happen. So Tim said she's really going to need to up her kind of selling ability, but also 
to find something to sell because <laughs> so far we don't have much yeah. clue a, on what that might be. A bad be. saleswoman with nothing to sell <laughs> yeah. is, a, is a poor state of affairs. She might have some fridges. <laughs> <laughs> so Matt, Matt Hancock's leftover... So Matt Hancock has bought up the fridges to prepare This is my January plan, right? Don't worry about January sales. Yeah. Don't worry about January sales. They're going to be some fridges offloaded dirt cheap by this government <laughs> in a couple of months' time. Off the hopefully. back of a van. Yeah, I'm fine. So let's move up. Let's, let's talk about this then. No, so cabinet ministers gearing up for no deal in to varying degrees. Some more enthusiastically than others. Gavin Williamson's got three and a half thousand troops, more than I thought we had in total in the army. But apparently three and a half thousand are on standby for unspecified purposes. Matt Hancock has not only bought a lot of fridges; he's also chartered a plane, uh, which is going to fly back and forth across the channel. A whole plane. A whole plane. <laughs> Um, which is going to land in Maastricht. Which is, the whole thing just sounds like a joke. But anyway, how concerned do you think going into 2019 should we be about the prospect of no deal? I'm concerned about no deal. And I think that that view is shared in Parliament. But, you know, there's no majority for a no deal. There's no mandate for a no deal. So, and the kind of, it's, it's problematic because the EU know that. And the EU know that Parliament doesn't want a no deal. So the amount of threats that they have, I don't know whether this is genuine planning or whether this is just more kind of laying it on in terms of threats to the EU. They know we're probably not going to go for it. So I, I don't want to say we're wasting billions of pounds, but I, I feel we might be. But at the same time, I'm really worried about it. So it's a confusing picture. But presumably, Tim, the part of the problem is earlier in 2018, there was a lot of talk, and I think there was a, a fact, it might even be a story that you wrote about Armageddon. I was the first one to write a story saying there'd be shortages of food, fuel and medicines. And everyone said, this is absolutely ridiculous. And then within four days, ministers were confirming that they were buying well, the be- fridges. I remember the, be- the story was landed on the Sunday and on that day's Andrew Marr show, you had Sajid Javid saying, I don't think it will be Armageddon. <laughs> it wasn't the most reassuring <laughs> message. Um, but that all felt like a long way off and we didn't really need to worry about that. That was but, July, but, that story. But going into three months to go... The clock is ticking. Yes, we've been doing the square root of you-know-what ever since. Um, part of the reason for that is because a lot of ministers don't want to do it. Philip Hammond, the Chancellor, gets a lot of blame for this, but I think most people in the government would say uh, Ed Clark at business have been dragging their feet even more, and David Leddington in the Cabinet Office, who's supposed to be overseeing a lot of this stuff. So it's a difficult situation. I mean, how serious is the threat? It's easy to dismiss it as Project Fear, but every Cabinet Minister I've looked into the eyes of who talks about this thinks back to those fuel strikes which nearly caused Tony Blair uh, to come a cropper um, and they think that you know you're only a week of chaos from the collapse of a government frankly and there's plenty of reasons to think uh, that however well we prepare if the French decide to cause problems uh, at, at Calais um, things could be rather difficult and I've had conversations with cabinet ministers who say my bit's fine I've worked really hard on it <laughs> I've got everything ready I've no done as much here. as I can Everything will be fine as long as Chris Grayling's transport system works all right. <laughs> and then they what a terrifying a four-letter word. What a terrifying... <laughs> I, I could think of several that I imagine with yeah, the four-letter word. Yeah, there are some quite interesting, well, to some of us, technical bits being done. So, more or less, every week now in the House of Lords, we're having these secondary pieces of legislation coming through on really specific things that we need to have ready. And now and again, you look at them and you think, oh, there's an order on how organs are going to be transported up in the event of no deal. And you think, hang on, that's quite important. <laughs> and we're just leaving it to kind of a few peers who happen to be awake on the first day. You look even more terrified now. <laughs> well, look, maybe we, uh, maybe we can put the, the organs in your fridge. <laughs> yeah, there you go, job done. And then it'll all be sorted. Yeah. 
In terms of Theresa May trying to sell this deal, to what extent do we think that MPs getting out of Westminster, not just to speak to their local constituents, but maybe even some normal people, family members, that sort of thing, do they start being nagged by their families? Just get on with it. I'm absolutely sick of it. What is the matter with you? Don't- I think there's an element of that, and I think you'll find that with some of the Tory MPs as well. When the coup that didn't happen, uh, as opposed to the coup that failed, sort of back in November... Lots of ERG people said, well, the, the 48 letters will go in because all these guys will go home to their constituencies at the weekend and they will be told, get rid of the Prime Minister. What actually happened was they went home to their constituencies and they heard exactly what Katie was talking about earlier, that the public rather likes uh, Theresa May and that a lot of the sort of senior grassroots people think, give her a chance, let her get it done. And I think they'll probably hear more of that over Christmas. Now, that won't change some people's minds. Some of them have been campaigning on this for three or four decades. Uh, but for those who are sort of umming and ahhing, that could make a bit of a difference. But let's let's assume then that she gets a deal. Th- we don't, we don't, let's park no deal for a moment in one of Chris Grayling's lobby parks. <laughs> let's assume that she gets some sort of deal through and we do leave in some form on March 29th. How many days does she get to stay in number 10 after that before another plot or coup of some sort to remove her? Well, I go back and forth on this because I think that you know that is the moment they'll say we gave you your deal you got it through but we're actually going to get rid of you because we don't think you've done a very good job during this process and it's now time to have that kind of beauty parade within the Conservative Party of those 20 runners and riders but a bit of me thinks that if they are any good at selling at number 10 then they should sell off for all the worth if she manages to get a deal through that is pretty impressive that is something that she should probably say, hold on a minute, everybody told me it could not be done, it's not perfect. I mean, they failed to, to sell the idea of a compromise over the last six months, and I think that's what probably one of the reasons why they're in the position they are now. Yeah. But I think that she probably should get a more kudos than possibly she will get for, for getting it over the line. But that requires her to sell herself. Our experience so far is that she's not terribly good at that. Yeah, even with, with this deal, which, you know, has come in for a lot of flat from all sides, even the things that are right with it, I don't think are being sold well enough or emphatically enough, stressing kind of how hard it was to get to this point. What do you think, Tim? Well, I think she can buy herself some time. I think she gets almost as much time as she demands to a degree. Um, I think if she comes straight out on March the 30th and says, we've got this over the line, this was very important, but there are two or three things I really want to to achieve and I've earned the right to do that, I think people will be gracious enough to let her do that. We know that she's not going to fight the next election. She's said that. If there's any hint that she's backtracking on that, she'll be out within weeks. But if she says there's stuff I want to achieve next party conference will be my last or, well, that's what I mean. does she have, or, to, she have to be more specific I and think put a there date will be constant demands for her to be more specific about it but I think she can easily buy herself probably a year through to the following spring if she wanted to if she doesn't do that I think she'll be gone by the end of July but I think some signal either that the October conference next year is her last or that that is when the new leader will show themselves to the nation I think is probably in order I mean you know the leadership race is on already uh, it's a case of her quantifying it and perhaps having time for one last reshuffle to promote some of the people she'd like to see contending in it. Who would they be? Who are the, who are the people that, A, who would throw their hat in the ring, but also who might she try to bring up through the ranks? Well, I think she'll try and promote some more um, of the women. Uh, people talk about Victoria Atkins, who's already a minister, Seema Kennedy, who's uh, Theresa May's PPS, I think are both uh, slated for promotion. There are other younger MPs who I think... Uh, the wider body of Tories would like to see promoted, like Tom Tugendhat and uh, uh, Rishi Sunak, um, both of whom look like 
cabinet level potential in due course. But I think, you know, the contest if it happens in the next year to 18 months is still going to be between uh, the people at the top. And, you know, it's, it's Sajid Javid, Amber Rudd and Jeremy Hunt from what you might loosely call the Remain world. And at the moment, it's Dominic Raab, David Davis or Boris Johnson on the other side with Penny Mordaunt and... Uh, Andrea led some sort of floating as, as possible contenders. Um, I don't think we're going to be short. People say Liz Truss will run. People say, uh, you know, uh, every man and his dog is going to put their hat in the ring. We know it's up and running. If we get a time scale, people can then start to properly plan. And as I say, I think there's an opportunity for her to shape that a little bit. She doesn't have to keep everybody in the cabinet in their jobs. She might bring some new people through. She might get rid of a few people who might think of themselves as contenders. Esther, the reshuffle in January 2018 was not a roaring success. Uh, No. God, that feels a long time ago. But yeah, it's quite convenient for all these people who fancy their chances now, isn't it? That kind of, she will have done the hard bit in theory, and uh, and then they just potentially get to lounge in a nice transition period. Well, hopefully. <laughs> I also wonder what the reaction from Labour will be to that kind of timeline. In the kind of, we'll have this period of enormous upheaval, and then just another Conservative being slotted into office with no election or anything like that. Um, I think there'll be quite a lot of anger from Labour and their supporters. Who would your money be on, Katie, for hats in the wing? Oh, I'm fed up with making predictions. I get them wrong all the time, so <laughs> I've decided not to make Even though I'm meant to be coming on this podcast and talking about predictions, I'm refusing <laughs> to make any. Then chuck me out if you want to, I don't really care. But um, as Tim said, there's just everyone's going to throw their hat in the ring. The thing is, is that normally you you identify two very early on and others don't get a squeak or a looking. Now anyone gets a looking because this is an opportunity unlike one we've seen in the past for many years. And so why wouldn't you go for it? Because you've just got as much chance as the next man or woman. And particularly if you're someone who feels you've been, well, you've either been sacked or walked out previously or you feel like you haven't had the bump up that you wanted. Chucking your hat in the ring, as Andrea Ledson discovered, throw your hat in your ring, you suddenly go quite far and that basically secures you a cabinet job. Absolutely. Afterwards. You know, so you'll have Pretty Patel who, you know, has been out of the cabinet quite a while now. She's definitely got to put her hat in the room because she will have support there. Across the board, they'll have support. And, you know, when we talk about the fact that this will be an easy job after Theresa May, I think this is the, the end of the beginning, whatever you want to call it. This is just, this is just the, I think, the easier bit. I think the hellish bit is to come in some regards. One more name that's significant. He may not run for leader, but he's going to be a major player in the next five years, and that's Matt Hancock, the health secretary. There's half a dozen people who might run themselves, who might consider him as their chance of the exchequer, and I think there's a lot of people who think he's next but one. He used to irritate a lot of people, but he's actually impressed most people in the Cabinet, and if he doesn't get the job himself, he's going to be a key determinant in in terms of who is. And the other two who will help determine it, but may not get it themselves, are Michael Gove and Gavin Williamson. Gove brings the intellectual coherence uh, and a bit of Brexit cover for for somebody else. And Williamson is the best organiser in the party. Um, And as uh, another of the leadership candidates said to me, you want Gavin on your side, because if you don't have him, he'll launch a military coup against you. Well, lots of food for thought there on the Tory side. In a second, we'll look at what the other parties might get up to in 2019. We'll be back after this short break. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. 
But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Welcome back. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast with me, Matt Chorley, joined in the studio by Tim Shipman, Katie Perrier and Esther Weber. Let's let's part the Tories for a moment. Well, let's start with the opposition. Jeremy Corbyn amazingly managed to end the year behind in the polls and by some distance, Theresa May still considered the best Prime Minister over him. As is don't know. As is don't I mean don't know don't polls. knows had a very good year. It's it's um if we had none of the above as well, that would probably be on seventy percent. <laughs> Esther, what could Jeremy Corbyn do to turn things around? Come up with some ideas. Like I mean, I know we had what was seen as actually a quite a successful manifesto from then twenty seventeen, but I feel like the world's moved on a bit since then. And it'd be good to hear if, you know, their policy is still to talk less about Brexit and focus on the NHS and education, then they really need to go for it. And I do think just in the... Even though, obviously, he's not showing well in the polls, I just think that the kind of life cycle of the Conservative era of government is possibly coming to the end of it natural life um, and there will be a desire for change which if he can capitalise on could help boost him Does he really need to do just nothing, keep out of the news and sit and wait for the toys to implode? Well that's clearly his strategy uh, currently but you know I heard that in 2018 he was taking lessons in mindfulness and I think that he should take lessons in 2019 in decisiveness and you know he should just show a little bit more leadership and make out that he's not the puppet of his party that he's not controlled by his shadow chancellor and that he can make decisions and he can be he can lead because otherwise they'll they'll see that you know as Esther says the conservative time you know the divine right to govern <laughs> by the conservative party may not always be be there and the party will look at Corbyn and think we would possibly be in by now if it wasn't for you and he cannot just assume that he stays there forever for as long as he wants to be you know they might just decide at some point that there's a moment for them and it might not include him yeah I think one of his weakest points even for people who really believe in him is that he, he appears not to have any real killer instinct there are moments when this government has really been on the ropes and they've been unable to come up with any effective way of really nailing them and that was true both well it's sort of successive pmqs after theresa may's worst week yet following the previous worst week yet he always seems to manage to fluff it on pmqs and people say oh it doesn't matter you know the Tories can destroy themselves but there's a there's a point when the opposition can really sort of stick the letter in. Well, I remember after one of those performances running into a, a member of the Shadow Cabinet who said to me, he saw an open goal and he hit it towards the corner flag with his ass, And that was a, 
description <laughs> of Corbyn's ability to, to sort of slot it away. I think he needs to start becoming a politician instead of a campaigner. Uh, Esther's absolutely right. He's drummed up a level of support by being a good campaigner and by speaking to a bunch of people who are crying out for change and think that this Tory government is a useless shambles. Um, there are lots of people who think this government's a useless shambles who still don't want to vote for Jeremy Corbyn. And I think at some level, while it's not his instinct, he needs to show some inclination to try and win the votes of people who don't readily agree with him and who are concerned about what his policies might bring. And he has so far done absolutely nothing to do that uh, in the whole time he's been in charge. Uh, and I think that's quite telling. I think what he needs is one big idea that crystallises all the sort of stuff that he was pushing in that manifesto, which was very successful. You could just say it could be a simple idea, we're going to tax wealth rather than income. Uh, and instead of hammering people uh, on their income tax find ways of, of raiding you know, uh, static wealth. And while the people who've got it will scream and shout, um, there aren't as many of them as they think. Um, and that would be wildly popular with a lot of people who earn 60, 70 grand a year, don't particularly want Jeremy Corbyn to come and take it all away from them, but think people who are earning half a million or a million pounds a year and sitting on vast property wealth and, and static assets um, ought to put a bit more back. And that could be something that really extends that coalition that he's managed to build. And so far, he's been very reluctant to come up with something like that. Which leads me to believe that I'm not sure he really wants it. You know, because I know we think that's a bit strange for a leader of the opposition. Surely that's the only thing you get a bit in the morning to do is take over the government. But He's a lifetime campaigner. He's a lifetime anti-establishment kind of, you know, representative. And I feel that he feel, feels very uncomfortable in the main spotlight. It suits him to consistently say that he's holding the government to account and he's stopping doing this any other, but never coming up with the goods to actually come and take over. I think that might be right. And I think one of the tensions that has come out much more this year than it did the year before, and I think will be a factor over the next year, is uh, the division between people in Corbyn's team uh, and Tom McDonnell, the Shadow Chancellor, who is desperate to get into power and to enact the socialist economic policy that he's been dreaming of for 40 years. And there have been tensions over anti-Semitism and over Syria and over all sorts of things. Uh, McDonnell doesn't care about all that stuff. He basically agrees with Corbyn on it, but he thinks it's a distraction and that it puts off the kind of voters I'm talking about. And I think if Corbyn doesn't show a little bit more sort of political nous, I think that those tensions are only going to increase. In the interest of balance, let's talk about the Lib Dems. Just briefly. Don't don't stop your podcast. We spoke about them earlier. You said... You said <laughs> Exotic Spresum was Spresum, clearly one of, the highlights, yeah. one of the highlights of 2018. Joyous. So Vince Cable, who'd, a bit like Gordon Brown, spent a long time agitating for the top job, with, at least within his own party, and uh, got it. Doesn't really seem to know what to do with it. Given the, the public sort of apathy at best towards the two main parties, why are they not doing better? He's... He's had a bit of a mess. <laughs> <laughs> I think we were saying earlier that there was this period in time when he was sort of revered and seen as like a really influential thinker, well respected. He just doesn't seem to have a zest for this job in the way that he maybe previously did. And it's quite opposite. I remember a friend, a former Lib Dem official, saying that now whenever she sees his name in the news, she thinks, oh no, how sad has he died? <laughs> 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 because you just can't really pick out what his ideas are or what their position is apart from hating Brexit. Um, well, his other big idea was yeah. to replace himself with a non-politician, yeah. which uh, looks like a... 
not a bad idea. Well, he, but the fun, I mean, maybe. we could have had some serious fun with that. But he, he announced that he was going to resign, sort of, at some point, and then said that anyone could run. They didn't have to be an MP. They didn't even necessarily need to be a member of the Lib Dems. And he announced it before the party conference. And we got to the party conference. And everyone kept saying, well, when are you going to resign? He said, why do you keep talking about me resigning? This is your only idea. This sort of long tantric resignation. And he's one moment uh, in terms of the last year to really, really kind of make a stand. He was having dinner talking about how to stop Brexit at a time when he could have helped vote the government down. Yeah, there was a vote on Brexit, which he missed because he was at a dinner discussing the possibility of a political, a sort of centrist liberal party that might be against Brexit. If only he knew where he could lay his hands uh, on one of those. Um, a new party, it's like a, you know, every year we get told that a new party is coming. Is 2019 going to be the year we get a new party, Tim? Possibly. Oh. I'm a sceptic of all of this um, because I'm getting bored of talking to people who keep telling me it's going to happen um, and <laughs> it hasn't. Um, I, th- I think more likely uh, the sort of Blairite rump of the Labour Party might decide to sit separately on some issues from the rest of them but there are certainly continuing efforts and I I only say possibly because I think that with Brexit being ha- as it is and the possibilities even now of massive crunch in the Commons we could still have a general election we could still have a referendum out of that could come all sorts of different realignments um, uh, so that's if, if we carry on in the same vein and May gets a deal I don't think it'll happen you know when, you, when you're trying to predict what happens there's a sort of 5 to 10% possibility of a, of a proper smash up that changes British politics forever so uh, in that context you could easily have a new uh, I think the party we will probably see is the sort of uh, the new Nigel Farage vehicle uh, will be not only a vehicle for Mr Farage but for all the people who've disillusioned with whatever deal we end up with with the EU and that I think looks like a, a racing certainty at the moment. OK then, just before you wind up, do we get to the end of 2019 with Theresa May still as Prime Minister? Esther? I'm going to say yes. Katie? If she gets a deal, yes. Tim? It's up to Theresa May. I think there's a decent prospect of no, but she can buy herself enough time so that she's still there, grinding miserably onwards. <laughs> <laughs> OK, do we get a general election in 2019? Well, the last time I was asked this, I was with Philip Cowley, who's just written the uh, book uh, on the last general election, and he, he was asked this question, and he said, my fear is we might have two <laughs> in 2019. <laughs> what? I can't face that, I'm afraid. I'm I think to say how clever no, he I was. Th- I think on balance, no, and I did think that a leadership election, then a general election, then a referendum was the order of likelihood. We've we've virtually had the leadership election. That didn't work out for the Tories. Uh, I, th- I th- now think a referendum is more likely than a general election. Katie? It's all to play for. I mean, the, all these things could happen in 2019. And I'm so rubbish at predictions. I'm not <laughs> going to say in what order, but I wouldn't rule any of them out. Esther? Uh, I'm, I'm probably going to say no, because I think... You know, now we have a quite narrow set of circumstances which can bring about an election. I can't really see Theresa May wanting to go through that again. Nobody else wants Theresa May to go through that again. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And the other parties, uh, there isn't a majority for it, so I, I don't see how we get there at the moment yeah those MPs have got scars on their backs from the last time and they've lost some colleagues in the process so they will not be rushing to to, to go for this I mean what I think you will see is uh, 
kind of a broad consensus of politicians that are realising that it doesn't matter what you do, even if you go for an election, when you come back, you're not going to have a massive overall Nothing's, majority. Yeah. As you say all the time, Matt, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. It's almost like, you know, parliamentary democracy wasn't built to go with the referendum. <laughs> and finally, on the subject of parliament, will John Burko still be speaker at the end of 2019? He Probably said he's at the end of 2030. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's becoming yes. like J. Edgar Hoover, isn't he? People keep predicting his demise, but he's sort of is, is turning into a job for life. Yeah, I'm going to say yes, based on how long he spent in the chair just on a single day. <laughs> He'll just stay there forever and ever and ever. So it turns out we don't really know what's going to happen in 2019, but we can be sure it's all going to be very exciting and we'll do our best to guide you through it. Both on my morning email, go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash red box to subscribe to that. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, ACAST, Spotify or wherever you get your episodes from so you don't miss a single one over the coming year. For now, my thanks to Tim Shipman, Katie Perrier and Esther Webber. For me, Matt Chorley, it's goodbye. <laughs>